Guys, all this month, um, we're in a series, a short series called Stirrings. And, and after last year, guys, we, we did a sermon series that lasted almost the entire year. So a short series is okay periodically, right? It's good to do something just for a little bit of time. It's called Stirrings. And, and really, these are just ideas that are on our hearts. The teaching team here at the Edge Church, these are things that have been on our hearts that we believe is for our church community at this particular time. So um, each message has just been something that we have each sense, like this is what God has for us, for our church community right now. So, so far we've talked about uh, post-holiday blues and depression, and, and guys, I, I was surprised at how many people have said to me, like, th- that really has resonated with them, so I'm so thankful for that. Um, anytime I hear that, that people are resonating with messages, it just gives me greater confidence that I'm hearing from the Holy Spirit on what he wants to do in you and through me, and that's exciting. Um, Last week, Steve shared an awesome message about uh, how we have to be willing to put things down before we can pick something new up in the new year. So um, incredible message really to to get you to think about the area of your life that you need to, to lay something down so you can pick up what God has for you in this year really challenged a whole lot of us last week. And, and today we're going to talk about an issue um, that we all can relate to in one way or another. And we're going to talk about today, the whole Sunday is about orphan care. It, it's, it's, about, it's about kids who have not been, they've been born into situations, we're all born into situations we didn't choose, right? Every single one of us. Not one of you said, hey God, send me there at this time. We didn't do that. We just showed up. God created us, he made us. And uh, we each showed up here, and we each showed up in different circumstances. And some of us were, were blessed to be born into families that loved us and cared for us the way they were supposed to. And others had some uh, variation of that. Uh, but we can all relate to this in one way or another. And I think that that's because God and his grace allows us to experience little bits of life. It just in his grace, he allows us to experience little bits of life that, um, that, that, that show us uh, pain points in other people's life so that we can actually have heroes who have circumstances worse than ours. Um, I firmly believe that God does not waste any experience that we have. So any pain that you go through is not meant to crush you. It's meant to recreate you. God always has a purpose in the pain in our lives. And, 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 and I think that the pain that, that is used best by God is when we allow ourselves to get softened by our pain, that we don't get all hard and walled up, that we, we get softened by our pain so that we see other people going through hard times or go through <clears throat> difficult circumstances. We have something to speak into them and to be with them in their pain because the best kind of pain for us to experience is the kind that softens us so that we look out for other people. And uh, I believe that's why God allows us to experience just a little bit of what it's like to be an orphan, no matter what family we were born into. Now, some of you had parents. um, This isn't a a phrase that's used anymore, but it was when I was little. How many of you guys uh, know the phrase latchkey kids? Right? Okay, so most everybody's heard of that before. It's not something I hear a lot of people talk about now, but some of you guys were were born into families and you were latchkey kids because your parents really weren't around that much. Not necessarily because they didn't want to be, but because both of your parents went to work. They had things that they had to do. It was a two-income family. Um, You know, maybe someone wanted to stay home with the kids, but it just wasn't it just wasn't possible. 
or, or maybe both parents wanted to work. Either way, you went home to a house often after school, and you didn't have a whole lot of supervision. So there was part of you that felt like, man, I, I, wish, I wish my parents were around a little bit more. Now, some of you had uh, really difficult and dysfunctional relationships with your parents. And they might have been present, but you felt like you were orphaned emotionally. Or you felt like you were in the same place as your parents, but you were still lonely even though they were physically present. And some of you guys had great parents. You, you felt like you won the lottery on parents. You looked around at your friends and you saw what their families were like, and you were super thankful for the family that, that, that you have, but now your parents are gone. And, and you wish that you had more moments with your parents. You'd do anything to get a moment back with your parents who loved you so well. And now you kind of feel like a little kid in a big world uh, with not a lot of guidance, even though you're long past childhood. One of my saddest and most pressing memories, this is, this is a memory that probably, probably twice a year just floods. I, I just have to sit and I literally feel like I go through it like it's in real time. It was at my grandma Shory's funeral. I was 10 years old. And I'll never forget it because we... We sat um, at the viewing right before the funeral, and it was just my immediate family um, with a couple random cousins. And I remember, um, I remember the chairs were lined up before the casket, and, and I was so uncomfortable having to see my grandma there. And, and, but but it, was, it was important for me to, to connect with the reality that she was gone. And, and I'll never forget sitting there because I'd seen my dad show some emotion before, but I'd never seen emotion like this. I never saw this emotion from him again. But my dad cried so hard as he said goodbye to his mom. And over and over and over again, he said the same thing. He said, today I became an orphan. And as a 10-year-old, I wanted to do anything that I could to take my dad's pain away as he said goodbye to his mom. Now, I wasn't personally very close to my grandma, not because she was a bad grandparent, but because she lived in Portland, Oregon. And I only got to see her a few times in my life. It was just too far away to consistently see her. But I'll never forget, it's like it is etched in my mind. I can picture myself standing behind my dad as he sobbed like he was a little boy. It was his, it was his last parent, and he, he lost his dad when he was five years old. My, my grandfather worked on the railroad in Galesburg, Illinois, and one day, my, my, my dad got a phone call. He had just gotten home from school. And he got a phone call at the house. And, and my grandma picked up the phone, and it said, Are you Muriel Jennings Shorey? And she said, Yes. Is your husband Rudolph Russell Shorey? She said, Yes. He's dead. And the phone hung up. And she found out that my grandfather, at the age of, he had just turned 47 years old. Two trains passed, and he was working between them. And in one moment, he was standing, and when the trains passed, he wasn't. He died suddenly of a heart attack at the age of 47. So my dad, as a five-year-old, became the man of the house. And he took on all the responsibilities of caring for his older sisters and his mom well. And then, it, then 40 years later, he lost, he lost his mom. And he became an orphan that day. And that always shaped my dad. 
I always remember how much he would look out for people that had less than he did. I always watched how he would care for people that seemed to be on the outskirts. He would always welcome them in, and a great thing. I, I, I just watched, I, I, I have a different perspective now that my dad's gone. My dad's been gone just over four years now. And I still meet people to this day that say, I wouldn't have made it through college at ISU if your dad hadn't tutored me after he had breakfast at Zorba's right on campus. My dad watched and he saw people that had less than he did and he allowed his pain to, to turn him into a person that looked out for others and he loved them well. It isn't a good experience in any way to be orphaned, but those situations cause us, if we allow them, to become others-focused. Now, we can allow it to do the other thing and we can become embittered and we, beca we become walled off so that we don't have any way to get hurt again. But when we notice people in their need after we've experienced pain, we often respond with more compassion because we know what it's like to hurt instead of responding with distance and disconnection. But we have a choice. Pain either awakens us to others or closes us off more to avoid risk of loss. There's so many verses in the Bible in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that speak to the issue of orphans and God's heart for orphans. We're only going to look at one passage today, only one passage. It's Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. And then we're going to take a little bit uh, of, a, of a dive into the context of what was going on in the culture at that time. Because if you just read the passage, it doesn't mean nearly as much as it would have to the people that heard it originally. This is what the Apostle Paul said. He said, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear Again, rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, now those words uh, were of the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome, and it's really, really important. I, I'm so big in context because we can read passages of Scripture and think that it means something that it doesn't mean at all. So we don't want to read just our cultural context into Scripture. We want to make sure that we understand what it meant for the original audience. We, we have to understand what was going on in Rome at the time to, to, to really grasp the depth of those words. So here's the thing, real quick, a, a, a quick Bible history on adoption. So in the Old Testament, there was no formal process for adoption. Uh, there didn't need to be because what happened was if a father in a family died, automatically the brother, his brother, would take responsibility for the children. So there was never some legal process. It was just known the brother took responsibility but when people had children in Rome in the New Testament times, so uh, the, the time of Jesus, it was a little bit more precarious because uh, it was all about the male head of the family. So the oldest male in the family called the paterfamilias. I actually saw that in someone's bio yesterday on, on social media. I was just like, that's creepy. 
that's kind of what I thought when I saw that. Because when I studied what that meant, uh, the paterfamilias had a lot of power and it was often abused in really, really ugly ways. So, so, so the, the head of the family could do a lot of things with children. So when someone in the family had a, a baby, that baby wasn't very secure because the paterfamilias could decide for the whole family to disown the child. They literally could disown the child. They also could sell the child into slavery. They also could kill the child that was born. Being born in Rome was not a great thing for children. The paterfamilias had absolute control over the people, possessions, and finances of the family. Sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? Children were not given a high value in the family. But here's the twist. Even though in the Old Testament times there was no formal process for adoption, in New Testament Rome, there was a, it, it was very significant. Adoption was a big deal in Rome. Um, because, uh, and let me explain, it meant two significant things. So adoption in Rome meant two significant things. The first thing it meant was that a child was wanted by his or her parents. People in Rome had their own babies and there was no guarantee. Remember, they could disown the child automatically, they could sell the child into slavery, or they could kill the child. So to be born into, uh, in, to be born into a family, there was very little security. But adoption in Rome meant something completely different. It meant that the child was completely wanted by his or her parents and freely chosen. Does that sound, does that sound familiar? Is this language that's connecting you to other parts of Scripture? Ephesians uh, 1, verses 4 and 5, I love this. It says this, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. The Apostle Paul is saying, um, one thing you guys do right is adoption. And that looks just like the adoption that God has for all of us eternally. Freely chosen. So it, it meant that the child was wanted, and so freely chosen. And the second thing it meant was that a chi the child who was picked by parents also could never be abandoned. Never be abandoned. So many of us live uh, under this weight of feeling like uh, we, we have all these reasons that growing up in homes that weren't very secure that you kind of felt like you were always at risk of being shoved out of the home. You were always at risk of your, your mom or dad saying something wounding to you like, uh, you're not really my child. Or um, if you respected me as a parent, you wouldn't do this or you wouldn't do that. You were always kind of waiting to be kicked out of the nest permanently. But adoption in Rome was permanent. It was freely chosen and it was permanent. They could never be abandoned or disowned. What does that sound like? You can never be disowned. In other words, you'll always have your parent with you. It sounds to me like Matthew 28, 20. Jesus, his parting words to his, to his followers, he said, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am what? With you, always, to the very end of the age. That is a core need that we have. We have this great need inside to be wanted and loved, we also have a great need inside that it's permanent. 
We need to know, not, not just that we're cared for, not just that someone wants us, but they're going to always want us. And, and God, God set this up to, Paul set this up to show that God's heart is the same for us as the Romans understood adoption. So this was huge to them in a culture that did not, did not respect children whatsoever. The significance, um, the significance is, is very, very high. God treats his adopted children the same way the Romans treated their adopted children. They were wanted and it was permanent. There is no reason to fear. Guys, when, there is, when you're in a relationship where you know that you're wanted, so someone chose you and it's permanent, you have all this space to live out life. You're not worried that every little mistake, that person's going to run away from you. You're not worried that they're going to change their mind about you tomorrow. But you just have this, this security that if you operate in good faith, that they're with you forever. And there is something that is just so settling to the human heart when you know that you're wanted and you won't be abandoned. God loves us just this way. And when we repent of our sins, his love for us, it's free, and he'll never take it away. One of the best ways that, that we can demonstrate this, so, so we receive this love from God when we repent of our sins. Acts 2.38, I share that almost every Sunday. You know, when we repent of our sins, we receive the Holy Spirit, which is a promise for what's to come, that he will usher us into eternity with the Father. That's a promise. That's a guarantee for us. We receive this promise. And, and, and God wants us to know that just like that relationship is permanent, he wants us to operate horizontally with the people in our lives. When, when we come across someone in need, when we see children who don't have parents, when we see foster situations, when, when we see opportunities to love kids that weren't born into families like ours, he says, love them like I have loved you. So for the rest of today, we're going to hear from several families in our church and some individuals who have experienced adoption and foster care and ministries like this. We're trying to set up this morning so you really experience what they have. So please welcome Lionel and Tara, Carl and Melissa, and Ben and Amanda. I think this is going to be better than the view. Ah, good morning, you guys. Um, we are super thankful to have you guys all here to share, share your perspectives and, and about your experiences um, with adoption, foster care, and also with safe families. So um, I'd love it if each of you guys would just really quickly introduce yourselves. Um, the first question, and I want each of you guys to have the chance to answer, is... Um, to share what ministry you're involved with um, and how you got involved in it. So please. So uh, we're Carl and Melissa Sauter. Uh, we've got three bio kids. It's terminology you hear if you're involved in this sort of stuff. Their age is six, four, and eight months. We're involved or have been involved in foster care uh, ministry in different ways for about 12 years. In case you're not aware, foster care is when, uh, through a court proceeding, the state is given custody and guardianship of a child due to abuse or neglect perpetrated by the parents of the child. 
The child is placed with a relative or a licensed non-relative foster, and the goal in most cases, the overwhelming majority of cases, is that they'll eventually return to their parents' care once the parents have corrected the issue that led to the child's removal from their home. Doesn't always happen, but that's typically the goal. Uh, we were initially introduced to the world of foster care because Melissa worked uh, in the field from 2007 to 2017, mm. which is a long time. After several years of her working uh, with families who were struggling and dealing with just so much heartache, so much pain, we decided we needed to help these parents and the children in a more direct and practical way. So we contacted a foster care agency and we got licensed in 2015. In 2016, we fostered a 15-year-old girl for three months. And in uh, late 2016, we fostered a five-year-old and a six-year-old who stayed with us for about 14 months. Fostering was the hardest thing we've ever done, it's fair to say, and it's also one of the most fulfilling things that we have ever done. We're currently taking a break from active fostering, but we hope to do it again in a few years, and in the meantime, we're choosing to support the needs of foster homes through volunteering our time and our resources. That's awesome. Thank you, guys. Ben and Amanda. Yeah. Hi, my name's Amanda, and this is my husband, Ben, and... We have um, adopted both of our children, and our first adoption was an international adoption from China. And Sophia came into our family in 2013 at the age of four years old. So we traveled to China to pick her up. Actually, we would have gotten back seven years ago, about right around this time with her. Um, our son, Malachi, um, he was a domestic adoption. He was born in Florida, and we have actually had him since the minute he was born. Um, and we also have an open adoption in Malachi's case where we have a relationship and we communicate with his birth mom. Um, God placed adoption on our hearts before we were even married when we were talking about future and dreams. And we really love the quote, bloom where you are planted. That's kind of our family motto. And we love this because it's been on our hearts and it's the desire for our kids that wherever they are in our family or here at church, that they would just see his love and he, they would see him and he, they would come to know him. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Lionel and Tara. Yeah. Tara, it's my husband, Lionel. We have a couple kids, five and a six-year-old, a very large dog. And we've been here for, moved to the area a few years ago. Is from. one more challenging than <laughs> the other? Yes. Absolutely. The, the husband? <laughs> Never. Uh, we moved here, yeah, from Oregon a few years ago. And we have been involved with a ministry called Safe Families for Children, which uh, offers short-term safe housing and care for kiddos in crisis situations. Um, how did we get involved in this ministry? I feel like, um, of course, everything's like this journey that the Lord works in you, prepares for you. Uh, when we moved here, I had a lot of time on my hands. I didn't have any family or community really built up yet, so got to um, have a privileged opportunity to spend quite a bit of time immersed in scriptures and just looking at the life of Jesus. Um, and through that, just felt challenged and compelled to put into practice some of the teachings and models he sets up for us. 
um, one of those things. I want to share what Steve shared last week. I thought it was so good. I'm going to read it so I don't misquote you. It's very simple. We say, God directs me, and then I'll move. God says, move, and then I'll direct you. And that was totally the case for us. We didn't feel like a huge calling towards anything. We're like, yeah, God, we just want to be your hands and feet in this city and meet whatever need there is. Um, and so through conversations with friends, we're just encouraged to, like, take the next step, do something. And if the Lord needs to, he'll close that door. Um, and so, yeah. We actually pursued foster care, called and looked at starting that process, but because of the potential uh, time frame we might be in Illinois, they said it probably wouldn't be the best choice. Uh, so she mentioned Safe Families for Children. We looked it up and went for it. Awesome. Yeah. Now, now <clears throat> excuse me, we all know that with life and anytime we do anything, there are blessings and challenges. Mm -hmm. So we'd love to hear, it doesn't have to be in any particular order. Um, which of you feels led to, to share? Let, let's start with blessing. <laughs> How's that? A blessing that you've experienced being a part of this particular ministry. So I'm going to start by changing that format. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll just be off stage, okay? <laughs> um, so I had actually chosen to um, answer this question by first reading something that I wrote a couple years ago when we were yeah. in the midst of um, a difficult time in one of our placements, mm. so I'm going to start with that. <laughs> I'm sitting in her bedroom on the floor against the wall. It's dark except for the nightlight next to me because it's supposed to be bedtime. She's been screaming for 45 minutes now, though the screams have started to come farther apart. I'm not sure what she's wrestling with in her mind, but she's been extra upset for two days now and taking it out on the whole family. It may look like she got upset because there was mud on her shoes or because it's bedtime and she hates bedtime. But I know there's more. She's struggling with deeds and that reminder keeps me sane and allows grace and love to come out of me instead of frustration and anger. It takes everything in me to swallow down my anger and instead reach out and hug this little girl when she's screaming and throwing things at me but I do it anyway because it's important. This life is hard, but if we don't love these children, who will? Their parents are struggling, there's no family able to take them, so we are all they have right now. These children from hard places need someone to tell them that they are worth it, that they have value as human beings and precious children of God, that someone cares enough to fight about doing their homework and brushing their teeth. Hmm. She stopped screaming finally, almost an hour after she began rustling in her sheets, exhausted, I'm sure. I want to be angry at her mother because how could she just walk away from these precious children and leave them with strangers? But at the same time, I think, how horrible must her life seem to her if she chooses to abandon her children to the system? How much must her heart be aching for her little ones? And I feel overwhelming hopelessness and a determination to care for these young lives as long as I'm needed. Why did we choose this life? Because God told us to, and that's all that matters, really. We say yes, and he takes care of the rest. I wrote this in 2017, about two months after we accepted placement of our five-year-old and six-year-old. Um, one of the challenges of foster care is bringing hurt and angry children into our home. They come with rude attitudes, potty regressions, anger taken out on us and our home, deep sorrow, missing life skills, and delayed academics. One of the huge blessings of foster care is watching those same children blossom when they are placed with us and we are able to love, support, teach, and encourage them. 
I'm happy to add to my story today by saying that these two kids I wrote about returned home to their mom at the end of 2019. We got to watch God redeem her life, and it is so beautiful. Wow. <laughs> wow. I think you chose the right format. Um, I also want to say I think it's, I, I think it's beautiful um, that you journaled that at the time because I can see even as you read it, I can, I can sense that you still have such strong emotional ties to it. So when we journal things, we tend to remember it. Right, Steve? Man, got me all teared up. Are you, are you going to do a blessing? You've got to be clear. Blessing or challenge first? We'll see what comes. Okay. <laughs> all right. So um, my thoughts about this question is adoption is one of the most beautiful and broken things in this world. Um, each child that is adopted has experienced traumatic loss, but God has a redemptive pur purpose in it. The adoption process is a journey of really high highs and really low lows. Um, not only is our daughter Asian, she also has special needs. And so there are times when we get stares and feel like we're in the spotlight. Um, there are times when we don't know really what is best for her or how to help her. And that can be really, really challenging. Yet, it has been such a blessing to see how far Sophia has come. Um, she is an overcomer, and she has taught me so much about life. Something that we've realized is that family is deeper than your color of your skin, deeper than your last name, and way deeper than where you were born. Family is about love, and it's about relationship and the choice to love big even when it's uncomfortable and to rejoice in the great moments as well. That's beautiful. Thank you. My turn, I guess. <laughs> um, so we're just going to talk about our experience through Safe Families. So through Safe Families, there's different options, uh, volunteer positions um, that you can sign up for and uh, all in practical you know manners that you can help out these families and so Tara and I our family decided to be a host family which entails opening up your home to this child who's in need um, <clears throat> for any specified time anywhere between you know 48 hours to up to one year and um, with us we ended up having five kiddos I think rotate you know through our home and the the challenge in that for us was, you know, what were these two days going to look like or, you know, the two months that the that these kiddos are going to be with us, you know, depending, you know, what Melissa talked about, they, they sometimes come from difficult um, backgrounds and, and things that they've gone through. And so for me, for us, it was more of, you know, what what is it going to look like in terms of, you know, them, you know, coming up and disrupting our normal routine of our home. And um, that was that was the challenge. It's just the unknown. What is it really going to look like? But the blessing that came from that was that uh, God was there the whole time providing the resource that we need to be able to help the kiddo, the kiddos out. And um, we were able to see our children also grow to be more compassionate and always um, ready to see, um, be ready to take the next kid, you know, that was in need. And, and so it was... It was a time where we were able to see God work through our fears and be able to provide uh, what, you know, the kid needed through us. And it was such a blessing to be able to just be yeah. part of that. 
Isn't it amazing how flexible our kids are? Like so much more so than we give them credit for. And, and they, it just seems like kids can adjust and overcome in such incredibly inspiring ways. And I think that's why, I think it's neat. We have such a high value of, on kids in our church community because it, it's more than just that there are kids. They teach us a whole lot about how to adjust and overcome in life. And what a blessing. So I think that that's beautiful. Um, guys, you guys are answering questions in a really succinct way. Thank you. Um, la the last question for all of you guys, you can take a little more time if you'd like, but is there anything else? So, so I'm sure there are people here that um, have uh, participated in these ministries. There are probably people here who um, are, are thinking about participating in ministries like this and probably some that it's not really on their radar. Like, what can you share with everybody here that you just think like, would be really helpful for them if they were interested in taking some next step? You know, it's really dangerous to say we could take more time because I, I know I could literally talk about this all day. Yeah. <laughs> all um, right. <laughs> I, I'd like to just say a little bit about what I think uh, we as the church can uniquely bring mm -hmm. to the table um, because certainly you don't have to be a Christian to be involved in one of these ministries. But I think there are things that we, we bring that are needed. Um, so I would say I think it's really important to keep in mind what God sees when he looks at us. Mm. Everyone who's involved in foster care, whether that's a foster parent, foster child, birth parent, caseworker, judge, service provider, or just a supportive friend, is a child of God made in his image. I think that as Christians, we have a lot of opportunities to show some of these people Christ-like love in a way that they may have never experienced before. Mm. In Jesus, we see a model of sacrificial love, forgiveness, and restoration. It takes sacrificial love to care for people who are from broken situations, and Jesus supplies that. It takes forgiveness to work with a birth parent and help them when they've put their kids into these situations. That comes from Jesus. And the preferred goal of foster care, the whole reason that it exists apart from, say, adoption, is the hope of eventual restoration. And Jesus' whole ministry, his whole life, was ministering restoration. And this perspective, in my opinion, is vitally needed in the foster system. And we believe that the church can do a lot of good by acting as God's hands and feet to the people who are involved in fostering, even if you're not the one who's actually doing the fostering. That's very good. Thank you. Thank you. I just wanted to share a little um, testimony about Malachi. And one of the things that we were trying to adopt domestically, and we we're trying to get matched with several birth moms at the time, and we just couldn't get placed. We were actually going for twins at the time. And it was just a struggle for us to, to find a match. And so I was upstairs one day just folding laundry, and I felt like God just, like, interrupted me. And I just had this vision of our birth mom that we were going to be matched with, her her eyes, her hair, her skin, exactly what she looked like. Like a whole photo was like right in front of me. And a few, day to, a few days later, the agency sent us another round of birth moms. And so we were looking through the information, seeing the pictures, and I'm like, babe, this is, this is the birth mom. This is her. And so we arranged to talk to her on the telephone. And the only way I can describe it is about 45 minutes into the conversation, it was like God just like walked mm -hmm. in the room and we all paused and we just knew that this was gonna be a match. And so everybody just started crying 
on the phone, and she's like, I choose you guys. I, something's totally different with you guys. I choose you. And so we talked for a while longer, I think like an hour and a half, two hours. And we wow. flew out wow. to go see her, and we didn't actually know the gender of the baby yet. And so I was spending time with God in worship and just praying with Holy Spirit, and I felt like he said it's going to be a boy. And I was blown away because I, I love... I love my daughter, and she's beautiful. She's amazing. But, man, I was geeked about getting a boy. <laughs> and um, so we, we go down, and we see her, and she comes out, and she gives us a hug, and she pulls out this little picture of an ultrasound. It was kind of like back in the 70s ultrasound for her because that's the equipment they used for her. And she's like, do you want to know the gender of the baby? And it was a boy. And I was just blown away. And... It reminds me that God's like in the journey with us, in the process with us, but he's also in the journey before it even starts. He mm -hmm. knows us before we're even born. And so she's like, the doctor said, I'm gonna be born on the, the baby's gonna be born on the 28th. And so he made arrangements to fly out and hotels and everything like that. And after a little while being home, I knew that on the 26th, I just knew that I knew that he was gonna be born on the 26th. And so if we didn't fly, if we didn't fly out, we flew out on the 28th, we were going to be late. And so we mm -hmm. changed our plans, and we ended up getting a flight, late last-minute flight that had a layover into another flight. And about halfway there, we flew out in faith on the 26th and got off the plane. Amanda checks her phone, and there's a voicemail from her birth mom saying, oh, my gosh, mm -hmm. I'm in labor. I'm rushing to the hospital. Hurry as fast as you can. And so the next series of events were amazing because, like, we – get rushed to the ticket counter of the other flight. They bump our tickets to the front two seats so we can be the first person off. And we race down to the baggage claim. We're the only ones standing down there. And the baggage claim starts, which if you guys know, you wait forever for baggage claim. Mm -hmm. It starts immediately. And our first two bags are our bags. They pop out. We grab our bags and we rush to the, to the rental car and we tell her we're going to adopt this little baby coming up. And she's like, I was adopted. She like throws us the keys and says, go, I'll take care of it. And so we like race to the hospital and we actually, by the way, she let me be a navigator, which if you know, we ended up getting lost <laughs> and still miraculously we made it to the hospital. That is miraculous, yeah, that's guys, miraculous. I can that's attest to that. If you know me, that's miraculous. <laughs> and so we, we get to the hospital and they rush Amanda into the delivery room and literally minutes later, Amanda ended up being the very first person to hold Malachi. Wow. And so that was just amazing. And, it, you know, it's amazing the testimony for just Malachi and, and general testimony for adoption. But what's even more amazing is that adoptions for all of us, that we were adopted into the family, that we're sons and daughters, that God sees our past and that he chose us. He still said yes to each, mm -hmm. each of us and he loves us. And so adoption's about choice. It's about mm -hmm. love and it's about like walking this journey out with kids and what that looks like for life. Gosh, that is, isn't that stunning? Isn't that encouraging when you see, you really hear how God like breaks into our lives and he, he wants to speak to us and, and here's what I take away from that. Um, I almost want to do laundry with Ben. <laughs> almost. I can? Okay. All right, so I think, um, hmm, going back if we were to, like would have been helpful to know beforehand. Um, maybe we'd have jumped in sooner. The flexibility, I would say, with Safe Families for Children. Um, you're able to, like, 
put in ages that you're comfortable taking or genders or a number of kids, um, block out times. And the support is amazing. Like with every hosting, Safe Families was super helpful in providing like resources that we needed, people coming in visits, offering to drop off meals, like a great support system. Um, what else? Another thing I should have clarified was you get a text or an email every day telling you about the need for the particular kiddo. So if it was under your specification of, you know, if you wanted male or female, what ages, then you would go ahead and respond and say, yes, you know, we're committed to, you know, taking this kiddo. I remember Tara you calling me while I was at work saying, hey, there's a newborn <laughs> who uh, we could take. So as I'm at work, I pull the email up just to see what the specifications are. Like, all right, let's go with it. We hadn't had a newborn in like four years. <laughs> and so Tara ends up going to the county hospital in downtown Chicago. And as she's walking out with the baby, people are congratulating her <laughs> for her newborn as she's walking out. And so it's just very practical ways, you know, right at the start off, you know, they have everything ready for you to be able to just do this as smooth as possible. Um, and we had him for two months and it was such a blessing. Mm -hmm. But that was, sorry, a side note. So. Yeah, great. great. Um, another maybe deterrent I've often heard um, in stepping into ministries like this are that I could never do that. I would get way too attached to the children. And I guess to that, I would say, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Like, you will get attached when we identify and bring in these kiddos. They'll, they'll eat your heart up for sure. Um, there wasn't a single kid that I didn't cry over as they left our home and that my daughter didn't cry over due to not so much his response. <laughs> like see you guys <laughs> um, but within a week like they're both like yes all right let's do this again we're ready for another kiddo to come on over and love on them serve them um yeah and yeah I think that's what Jesus asks of us right is to um step into that space and that hurt and burden of the least of these um and carry that weight with them and embrace their joys and their blessings as well. And, yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Guys, can we give them a round of applause just for... <clears throat> Thanks for being vulnerable enough to share your stories. And um, I, I have no doubt that God is, is moving in our church community. This is definitely a church that believes in adoption. There's so many people... Um, that, that operate in these different ministries. So, but thank you for sharing your stories. Um, we're going to step off stage, but we have a few more people that are going to share their adoption stories. Good morning. For those of you who don't know us, my name is Sarah, and these are two of my sisters, Monique and Alexis. So we are just three of the Vendendon clan. There is a
pretty outdated photo that's going to pop up behind us. Ignore that. We've grown. Um, and it definitely needs to be retaken. <laughs> because of how much we look alike, you know, you probably can't tell, we are the adopted ones. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> when we were preparing for this morning, we realized that there's so much that we could and would love to share with all of you. Um, just as new, no two people are the same, no two circumstances or experiences are either. So we're going to share a bit about our family's story with you from our perspective. Um, I am fourth in line, having three older brothers and one younger. As you can imagine, I really wanted a sister to play with. Uh, and I'd often pray for one. So unbeknown to me during that time, my parents were doing some heavy praying of their own. Um, my mom has always had a really big heart for kids, and God told her she would have many children. Um, for most of us, including myself, five seems like more than enough. Um, but she often felt like someone was missing, and our family just was not quite complete. When I was five, I'm sorry, when I was eight, uh, my parents began to adopt. Um, at that age, I didn't totally comprehend what that was, uh, what that all meant. Um, but I, in praying for siblings, you know, I was super excited and, um, I was till years later when our family continued to expand, uh, realized just how amazing it was that as my parents had been praying for their future children, uh, my, I had been too. And, um, the, my initial vision of what that looked like was of course a bit different than theirs. Um, but in the end, just the same. Uh, God abundantly answered my prayer, blessing me with not just one sister, but four, uh, and another brother as well. My mom has always said that our family is the family that God built, and I think that's a statement that we all wholeheartedly agree with. Um, I was asked what it was like for me when my parents began to adopt, and uh, I was super excited. I thought it was amazing, and I have always absolutely loved having a big family. Um, not necessarily for me to have my own big family, though. So, um, <laughs> siblings are great. Siblings are great. Uh, <laughs> but also, uh, I think a common question for us is um, whether I and my siblings had any kind of input, you know, when, when my family started to grow and, and started the adoption process. Um, and although my parents definitely could have easily made that decision without us, I remember having family meetings um, before each child was brought into our home, whether it was meant to be just temporary or whether it was going to be something that was forever. And I think that uh, it made it our decision. And I think that that's really something that has made us a strong unit. Um, but we were able to voice any opinions, any struggles, anything we were feeling all together. Um, and, you know, I think that that's an amazing thing to, for your voice to be heard, for you to, um, to know that, you know, this is the family that God built. So, um, of course, growing up, there have been plenty of occasions where uh, we fought, we found each other annoying, still do sometimes. Um, and even as adults, don't necessarily see eye to eye all the time. Uh, but through all of the ups and downs life's brought our, our way, I think that it has made us uh, stronger and has made us all closer together. My name is Alexis. I am one of the youngest in our family at number nine. 
Um, when I was adopted as a baby, you know, people would ask, you know, what was it like to be adopted? What was your experience? And I don't know. I mean, the only experience I know is my family. Um, you know, clearly I don't look like my parents and, my, and some of my uh, siblings, but, you know, my parents were always open and honest and with me about where I was, um, about who I was, and, um, you know, they, it was never a secret. It was never something that was kept hushed. I was allowed to ask questions. I was allowed to wonder. Um, it wasn't until I got into fourth grade that was my first time where I realized that maybe I was wrong, that my existence wasn't right. You know, I had a, I had a friend over, you know, she was white, and she'd come over to my house and she'd be like, dude, your parents are white. And I'm like, what? really? Are they? Are we sure? Like, and they're like, yeah, I know, I know. And you know, she was just from that point on was a little like skittish of me, because I had white parents, and I mean, it was weird. I was like, dude, don't you have white parents too? Like, I don't, I don't see the difference. You know, I'm a girl, you're a girl. I got parents, you got parents. There's no difference. Um, you know, but it did make me think differently and made me look at the, at how I live differently, and I feel like. You know, I was a little bit embarrassed at that point of, not of my family, but of my circumstances. And I felt, I felt off. And you know, my circumstances today have not changed, but I have realized today after my mom told me, you know, I came home crying one day, sobbing. And she looked at me and she said, honey, we picked you. We chose you out of that hospital room, out of all those babies, we chose you. And those stinky kids, they got stuck with those parents, you know. You, you got picked. And from that point on, I was like, yeah, I am awesome. You know, I am better, you know. That was great. You know, I was picked. I was chosen. Um, but, you know, as I've gotten older and I realized that, you know, regardless of outside opinions, regardless of blood, regardless of color, this is my family. This is the family that I was born into that I love. And God does have a purpose and a plan for me. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't wrong. I was purposely placed in this family for a reason. And Facts. that's it, yeah. <laughs> so my name is Monique, and I am lucky number seven in the Vendetta family line. Now, much like Lexi, I don't remember a lot of when I was younger because I was adopted when I was very young. Um, through much of elementary school, nobody really pointed out the fact that my family was different. Um, when my mother would drop me off at school, kids might ask me, you know, why my mom was so white, and I would just be like, she's albino, like that's just what it is. And they kind of stopped asking questions. Um, if the question persisted, I would just say, I look like my dad. And if anybody knew or knows who my dad is, he's here today. Even though he's 100% Dutch, he has olivey skin. He kind of looks more Italian or Greek. So to me, he had dark skin. So I was like, hey, I look like my dad. I got my dad's skin, I got my dad's eyes, I got my dad's hair, that's where this comes from. And the question stops. Yeah, everything. We were just, we're very similar. Um, and <laughs> it wasn't until my dad brought me to a daddy-daughter dance with my brothers, because there were so many of us, that they realized, yeah, your dad isn't black, Monique. And I was like, and? Like, it's okay, we still look alike. Um, but it still wasn't an issue until I got into high school. Uh, when I got into high school, that's when uh, the situation kind of went left for me, I would say. Uh, kids got cooler, kids got meaner, and they would pick on me, uh, say I was either too white or an Oreo, black on the outside, white on the inside. 
uh, because of the way I talked or the way I dressed. But fortunately for me, I had an amazing family behind me. I had amazing siblings that were super protective and a mom who fiercely protected me through school and a dad who was awesome and would talk to me. And um, there was a poem that my mom would have in my room and me and my sisters, we had a share room, obviously, there's so many of us. And, um, and that poem meant so much to me that I eventually have it now tatted on my arm. And it says, not flesh in my flesh, nor um, bone of my bone, but miraculously still my own. Never forget for a single minute, you weren't born under my heart, but within it. And that poem means so much because I truly was not born under my mama's heart or under my mama's heart, but in her heart. So when my mom will talk about all the children that she has, she never differentiates. My biological children, my adopted children were her kids. My dad, the same, we are all his children. If you were to ask my mother about the day that she gave birth to Lacey or to Alexis or to Monique, she'll start and she'll be like, oh, well, wait, <laughs> didn't do that one. But <laughs> she'll never say, you know, these are my adopted children because to her, we are all her children. And for me, that, that helped me get through high school. That helped me when kids would tell me that I was a mistake or anything like that because I knew my mom, my dad, and my siblings loved me. And I wasn't a mistake. I was purposely meant to be Monique Nicole Vendetman. Um, I think as I got older um, and I started having children of my own, I started becoming more curious about why I have these super high cheekbones, why I have the dark skin that I have. Um, clearly, you know, they didn't come from my parents. So I decided with the support of my family and my siblings to find the biological side and find the biological woman who carried me. And I did my research with the help of my mom and uh, I had some interaction with that woman. And after I had interaction with that woman, I was again reminded how blessed I was to become a Vendetnin. I came home that day and I cried and I needed my mama and I gave her a hug and I gave my dad a hug. And I just said, thank you so much because I'm so happy that I am a part of this family. And the special thing is my mom and dad never made me feel like they saved me. They never made me feel like they did a favor or they did something. I was their child. I know some of the others up here have spoken of challenges and so um, our parents yes has definitely come with some amazing joy some extreme hardships and everything in between um, it has been and continues to be an incredible journey as we all grow and our family continues to expand with grandchildren and it is a huge bunch, um, but I absolutely love seeing the many ways that their response to God's calling has played out in our family, in our individual homes, and has influenced the lives of so many. Uh, we and the way our children view family um, is truly priceless. So going off of what Sarah just said, our family does view things very differently. And there's a fun story about her children, Reagan and Gavin. And one day, Sarah calls me and she's like, I have to tell you about your niece. I'm like, what happened? She's like, I put on our wedding, um, our wedding video and I wanted her and the, uh, Gavin to see how little you guys were when we and her dad got married. And she realized the date was June 4th. And I said, yes, we got married the day before Mimi and Auntie Mo's birthday. And Reagan's like, what? Mimi gave birth to Auntie Mo on her birthday? And Sarah's like, no. And Reagan's like, what do you mean, no? Sarah's like, well, your Auntie Mo was black. 
And Reagan's like, yeah. <laughs> and? And she's like, yeah. So no, she did not give birth to Auntie Mo. And Reagan took a minute and was like, wait. Auntie Mo was adopted? And it was like mind blown. And Sarah had to say, yes, baby. Auntie Mo is adopted. Take a minute, step back, comes back. Wait, does that mean Auntie Lexi's adopted? Yes, yes, Auntie Lexi is adopted. Another pause. So are you telling me that it's impossible that she gives birth to black babies or just rare? Like, no, Reagan, it's, it's impossible. <laughs> but just to see the blissful ignorance of the children in our family, it makes me like pray the whole world is gonna have that same blissful ignorance, that they're not gonna look at our family and be like, well, what is all this mixture of crazy? And instead they're gonna be like, look at all that mixture of love and not look at the color, and that's the goal. If while today you've been listening and God has been stirring something in your heart for you or your family to get involved, Sammy's going to come out here and tell you just how you can do just that. All right, so hopefully all of you have felt some sort of stirring in your hearts today. And I challenge you, don't ignore those stirrings. Take the next step. I know some of you in this congregation have been thinking about adoption for a while, and you've been thinking, oh, it's just not the right time. Well, maybe now is the right time. Take that next step. Do something about it. There are kids out there that need loving homes. There are kids out there that need permanent homes, and maybe you're the one to be that for them. But maybe, maybe adoption is not for you, but maybe you can provide a temporary home for a child. Maybe do that through foster care or maybe through safe families. Um, there are lots of kids out there that need, need safe homes, whether it's for a weekend, a week, a year, and I know a lot of you um, can provide that for them. Um, if you're thinking you might want to get more involved in adoption or safe families or foster care, but just really want more information, maybe that next step is out in the atrium. We have a table out there. You can just sign up. We're going to have a follow-up meeting, and you can learn more about each of those different organizations. Um, but maybe, maybe you're like me and thinking, you know, I don't really, you know, having a child in my home right now is not really feasible. You know, for me, I don't see myself adopting a child or becoming a foster parent or being a, a safe family host. But there's a lot of other ways you could help as well. You know, after the service, I truly believe we're going to have some people in this congregation that are going to adopt, that are going to become foster parents. And we can support them. We can support them by donating kids' clothes. When they have a new child in their home, they're going to need clothes for that child. We could support them in maybe offering to babysit, give the parents a break. Um, absolutely. Um, and with safe families, there are a lot of different ways you could get involved besides being a host. Uh, there's family coaches, there's family resource, there's family friends, uh, there's family resource people. And in fact, we have Brenda from Safe Families. She's out in the atrium. You may have seen her table before the service. She'll be out there to answer any questions you have about Safe Families in particular. But my challenge is for each one in this room to do something. Do something to help these kids in need. Whether that's adoption, safe families, foster care, babysitting, buying diapers for somebody, bringing a meal to somebody's home, or just ask. If you know somebody that's a foster parent, if you know somebody that's a safe family host, ask, how can you help? What can you do? How can you make it a little bit easier for them? Um, also, our kids in Quest, we want them to be involved as well. So each kid in Quest is taking home one of these boxes um, to collect change for the next few weeks. 
And what they're going to do with that change is there's an organization called Dream Makers Project. Um, every year, about 23,000 kids leave the foster care system without a family. Nobody to support them. And those kids have dreams. For example, there's a kid named Noah. His dream is to be a comic artist. And what does he need to make that dream happen? He needs an art tablet. Okay. So they, people could donate money to help him purchase that art tablet so he could become a comic artist. Some people just need some clothes so they can go on an interview. Some people may need a little help with tuition. But all the kids over the next few weeks are going to be collecting change in these boxes. And then they, we're going to collect it all together um, second week in February. And then help, help some of those kids in the foster care system that have aged out meet those dreams. So that's what they're doing. What are you going to do? How, how, is, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now? Everybody here could do something. Can we just give a hand to everybody who shared this morning and just thank them? Thank you so much. Everybody who shared. If you guys are able, would you stand with me? We're going to close this morning. Um, isn't it good, too, just to be reminded that, that all of us in this room, all, all of us have been adopted. All of us have been chosen. And, and what I love about the idea of God adopting us is it, is it wars against two things uh, that, that tend to well up in our being. And one is that, that I'm so good I don't need God, right, kind of a thing. Or, or I'm so terrible he would never want me. And God's like, look, I picked you. And, and because I picked you, that means you're not so good that, that like, that, that you didn't, A, either need me or, or that, like, um, that somehow this was your doing. You know, some people do it like, man, I, maybe I did God a favor. You know, like, look how good I am. Like, God, yeah, yeah you'd want me, right? Like, look, I'm amazing. Uh, no, 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 God picked you. And, and the other side of that is we get into this mindset. It's just like, God, why would anybody want me? And God's like, I do. And I pick you. It's just this amazing picture. And so thank you so much for everybody who shared this morning. Thank you for sharing your testimony, your heart. Thank you for the ways that you've just uh, invested your lives and, and allowed God to minister through you. And, and, and so I just want to pray for us this morning and just ask the Lord uh, if God would just speak to each one of us about how he wants to use us in our life, in our family. One of the things my wife and I have said beginning is that that whether it was just us uh, or once we started having kids is that we want our, our marriage, we want our family, we want our home to be God's. And so we want all the things we have. And so whether you're married or single, whether you're, whether you're married without kids or you have kids, like, like how, what has God given you? How has he uniquely positioned you to serve and to be a blessing to somebody else? What has he put in your hands for the sake of somebody else? And so we're going to pray. Uh, after I pray, uh, I just invite you. Uh, if you're here this morning and there, there's anything that's just stirring in your heart, you want to pray, there's going to be some people who are down here uh, this morning just to pray with you. Whatever that is, whatever you got going on, we'd love to pray with you. We believe God. Uh, we believe God is the God of impossible. We believe God can do anything. And if you're here this morning uh, and, and God just stirred your heart, you want to give, we don't pass a plate here at the edge. There's a giving box in the back on your way out. Uh, feel free to give there, or you can also give at edgeaurora.com. But let's just pray uh, together and ask the Lord to, to move in our hearts. Father, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for being a good father who loves us. 
God, for being a faithful father to us who is true. God, thanks for choosing us. Not because you had to, but because you wanted to. God, I pray that for every single person here in this room, God, that they would know that love. God, that they would know your love, that the love of the Father who says, I choose you, I pick you, I want you, I desire you, you are mine, I have a purpose and a plan for your life, and that plan is good. And Father, I pray that for all of us, God, that you would stir our heart today. Lord, that you would direct our steps, that you would open up our eyes to see, uh, God, how it is that you want to use our life, use our relationships, use our homes, God, to be a blessing to someone else, to share your love with them. God, I pray for open hearts in this room, open to receive what you have, open ears to hear you. God, that we would uh, truly be a people who reflect what our Father is like. God, have your way in us. We love you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time in your presence. Thank you for your word to us. And thank you for encouraging and stirring our hearts. God, would you be lifted up and glorified in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.